Why do uh, people have a hard time finding their purpose? And we came to the conclusion that many times it's because uh, they're asking the wrong questions. Uh, most of the questions you'll find, uh, even young people, even young people, especially going into college and preparing for that, and even in college, they, they ask themselves, you know, what do I want to be? And what do I want to do? And what do uh, I, I want to accomplish? And what are my goals? And what are my ambitions? And what is my future? And, and they ask all these things, and we think, oh, those are good questions questions they ask. You should be asking those questions, but actually that's not true because you cannot ask yourself a question that you don't know because you don't know that answer. But there is someone that does know that answer. That's the good news, and that is the one that created you. So we, we start, the problem is we're starting with ourselves asking the question, what's my purpose, when you have to start with God. God, what is my purpose? Only he knows because he made you, right? The Bible says in Ephesians 1, it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us and get this, he had a design on us. So you have a design for you. You have a, there's something for you to accomplish. So you may say, well, I'm too old to accomplish anymore. I've already accomplished everything. I, well, that's not true. Until you have your last breath, you can still accomplish things for the Lord. You still have purpose. And so when your purpose is unknown, you will abuse your purpose. You will abuse your life. You will abuse your resources. But when you know your purpose then everything begins to work in tune with what God had planned. Look at uh, uh, these five things that we talked about a couple weeks ago. We said, what are you created for? What is the purpose? What are five reasons you were created? We, and I'm just, again, um, going back and reviewing. Number one, you were created for God's pleasure. God wants to be your friend. He wants to walk with you. He came and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He walked with Adam and just kind of hang out with him. He, God loves being with his, with his people. He, you were made and created to, to hang out with the Lord, to, 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 to be a friend of the Lord. Number two, you were created to experience God's family. This right here, you were created in order to understand and be loved and love other people in the family of the Lord and to find many times um, growth through your um, love for uh, one another and through God. That's why we love small groups because we understand that's part of our purpose is doing life together. Number three, you were born to become like Christ. And our goal in life is to become like him, just to be like him. That's what, remember years ago, they had the little bracelets, what would Jesus do? WWJD, what would Jesus do? We, why we ask that question? Because we want to be like Christ. Number four, we, we were uh, created to serve the Lord, to serve God, to give ourselves away, to do things that God has prepared for us to do in the earth. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. Why? Why? To do good works, which God has already prepared in advance for us to do. That's encouraging to me. Is that encouraging to you? He's already got things for you to do. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you got some things to do. Come on. <laughs> now, it could be your wife saying, you got to repair that sink, you know, you, uh, but that, that, that's probably part of the purpose too. But you were created to serve. You are created to lay down your life even for one another. Greater love had no man than this, that he laid down his life for his brothers. And lastly, you were created to continue 
the mission. They have a mission. What was the, what's the mission? The mission is to continue the mission that Jesus started, to tell everybody the good news, that they can have a relationship with God, their Father, and to continue what he had already started because really the reality is we are all missionaries. We're all missionaries on a mission. And so that leads us to today. So I want us to um, look at our text today and 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 I want to read it out of the Message Bible. Keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. I like naps. And he has probably caught me napping quite a few times. But in the spiritual sense, seriously, to catch you napping, keep your guard up. You are not the... Only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep up a firm, keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before the generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. Now in the key, in the New Living Translation, that verse 8 says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil, because why? He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. One of the first sounds my little granddaughter has learned is the sound of a lion. And so, sometimes she'll, she'll just be standing there and she'll go, rah. Just, I'm like, oh, that's a lion. She goes, mm-hmm. you know, she, she learned the lion. She, she le- learned the animal sounds. That's one of the first things she's learned. Now, here's my thought I want to give you today, and I think this is an important thought. My purpose and my mission many times are connected to the roar that I hear. My purpose and my mission many times are connected to the roar that I hear. We'll unpack that a little bit more perhaps next week, but, but today I want to I just focus on this, that finding my purpose is as simple many times as hearing the lion's roar and then not running from it, but running to it. Many times my purpose is found in the roar and not running from it, but running to it. You know, as children, we're always taught, you know, to run from, from, from things that are loud. We don't even have to be taught that. It's just like inbred in us. Again, bringing my granddaughter, I, I know you get tired of it, but that's just the way it is, um, into this. But, but, but we, were, uh, uh, we were taking care of her, babysitting her, and... Um, and Melissa said, uh, I, I got to do some housework. And, and so she pulled uh, the, the vacuum cleaner out of the, of the, of the closet. She plugged it in. And, and I'm just kind of playing around with little Ava Grace. And she turned that thing on. And my, my granddaughter looked at that. And she made a beeline to me, jumped into my arms, and would not let me go. And just watched that thing as it go back and forth, you know, across the, the floor. She was so scared. And I found out that's the same thing with a leaf blower. <laughs> she didn't know what that was. I plugged it in, turned it on, and she ran to my, my wife. And, and, and we find it in life, barking dogs and loud noises and, and bullies and spiders and fires and things like that. We 
we've learned to, you got to run, you got to run, you got to run. And, but yet there are a group of people that are taught not to run from it, but to run to it. Thankfully, we have people that are brave, like policemen that run to danger, for, like firemen that run to the fire, like lifeguards that run to, you know, the, the, the possible drowning, like, like, a, like a, you know, a, a soldier running to the battlefield in the midst of, of all the bullets. There, there is a, two types of people. You have the people that run from the hurricanes and, the, and, 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 and then, and then the, the surfers that run to the hurricane. You know, you got two different types of people. And so I want to talk about for a few moments this little story and then another story following that. First story is about David. And we're familiar, we all grew up with the story, probably if you read the, any bit of the Bible, about David and Goliath. And so let me just kind of, I just feel like I need to just read through this really quickly. Um, and it's in the, found in different verses I just kind of collected out of 1 Samuel 17. And maybe we'll just do a little Bible, more than typical reading this morning. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel, and he was over nine feet tall. Are you kidding me? That's a, that's, a, that's a mammoth of a being. He wore a bronze helmet. His bronze coat of mail or scale, scaled type of armor weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder, and the shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. And, and I would love to do my best Goliath imitation. I think it probably sounded something like, you know, Braveheart or Goliath, great uh, Goliath, Braveheart, and Rocky all mixed together, you know. Why are you all coming out to fight? I'm the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. And look at this. I defy the armies of Israel today. Adrian. Adrian. Come on. <laughs> so, send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were, get this, <clears throat> When they heard this, everybody say they heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. They were terrified, they were deeply shaken. The entire army, terrified, deeply shaken when they heard this. It doesn't say when they saw this, when they heard this. And now David was the son of a man named Jesse. Going on, Jesse was an old man at that time, you know, eight sons. Eliab, Abinadab, Shemaiah had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. For 40 days, every morning, every evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. And one day Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain, these 10 loaves of bread, carry them quickly to your brothers. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers as he was talking with his brothers. Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks. And now David has his first experience of this giant, this Goliath that everyone else has been experiencing. David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. And as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began what? To run where? Away in fright. Hmm. 
And David says, don't worry about this guy. He goes to Saul. He goes to the king. He seeks out the king, the captain of all the, the commander-in-chief of the entire na nation, and he goes to him and says, hey, I'll fight this guy. But David, no, yeah, yeah, whatever. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, and when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it. It goes on to say, for he, this Philistine has defied, this is the reason he's giving why he wants to go fight this thing. For he has defied the armies of the living God. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to do what? He ran out to meet him. I want to talk about running for a few minutes. He ran out. He didn't walk out. He didn't meander out. He ran out to meet Goliath. David's entire future and purpose was about to unfold before him as he ran out to meet something that everybody was running from. Come on. Your purpose is found in what you run to, not what you run from. You got to run to the roar. You got to run to the shout. You got to run to the problem. You don't run from it. You run to it. Everybody say, run to it. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you got to run to it. And so my question is, what are you running to? So let's look at another example of some runners in the Bible. John chapter 20, verse 1. I know we're doing a lot of Bible reading, but we'll, we'll get with it real quick. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came walking to Simon Peter. What does it say? Okay, she came running. You're watching. You're looking. Thank you. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb, but they were walking too. But they were running. And the other disciple outran Peter, and they reached the tomb, and they looked in, and all this stuff goes on. I want to give you a few observations about your purpose this morning. Number one, you must run into your purpose. Two ladies went to the tomb to pay respect to Jesus. They did not expect Jesus to be resurrected. If they had expected Jesus to be resurrected, they would have never left the tomb. If you truly believed that he was going to be resurrected, you would have been right there. Even I mean, you would have camped out. You would not want to miss this beautiful experience, this miracle of all miracles. If they truly believed that he was going to be resurrected, they would have been there the whole time. Which leads me to believe I don't believe they or even the disciples really truly believed Jesus was going to be resurrected. They, that was beyond, no one does that. It doesn't happen. They've seen him die. They've seen the spear in his side. They've seen the blood come out. They've seen him take his last breath. They heard him say it is finished. They saw, they were perhaps a few of them part of, you know, bringing him down off the cross, putting him into the tomb. The stone rolled over. You don't get resurrected. You don't come out of that. That's a, that's a dead end. It's never going to happen. That's, this is too far gone. So, so they, they went to the tomb, not, not because they had a faith that he's going to be resurrected, but more of a love and a commitment. 
and a respect for this man who had entered into their life and had shown them such powerful love. Can I tell you that there are a few Christians who love you even when it's painful? But anyone can love you when everything's going fine, right? When you won the lottery, everybody's your friend. You get promoted, you get, you know, um, a great business deal, you, you, you know, you, 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 you become wealthy or famous, suddenly you have all these friends. But the moment you don't have anything, where are they? They're nowhere. They're nowhere to be found. But most people make a withdrawal when they don't see a benefit anymore. They, they, once, once there's not a benefit, they, they're done with you. Once, once you have nothing left to offer them, they don't care about you anymore. So which brings me to this question. Of all the things that Jesus did for these people while he was on the earth, you would think that there would be more than just two ladies showing him respect. There would be more than two people taking some, some anointed oil to put on his body or springing some flowers to his tomb. You'd think there, where, the question is, where, where were the 5,000 that he had fed with five loaves and two fish? Where, did, where were they at? And their wives and their children. Well, where, where was blind, blind Bartimaeus? Why wasn't he with the two coming to the tomb? What about the lame man? Where was he at? What about the, the, the woman with the issue of blood or the woman that was at the well? I don't see anybody coming to the tomb like described as them. Where was Lazarus? Why didn't he come to the tomb? Where are the people? It's amazing how you can give all you have to someone and then get nothing back when hard times come. Come on. I know you're amazed just as much as I am. But these women may not have had faith, but what they did have was love. They had love for this man. And it is love, my friend, that changes everything. In fact, the Bible says in Corinthians that love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, love always perseveres, because love never fails. It is love, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. Psalms 100, it is love that drives you to a place even of disappointment, to a place uh, where it looks like it's a dead end. Uh, love keeps giving even when the thrill is gone. Love keeps giving even though you've been disappointed. Love keeps giving even when the breath is labored of your, your spouse who is old now and about to pass away. Love keeps giving even when there's nothing left to draw from because that's what love is and that's what love does. And this, these two women love. They may not have faith that he would be resurrected, but they still had love. They had love for this man that had changed their life and they were not allowed, about to let a stone keep them away from him. Even if it was just a stone keeping them away, they still wanted to be as close as they could to the one that loved them so much. If you have just a few who love you in your lifetime, you're considered a very fortunate person. And Jesus just had two people that loved him so much. And they go down to the tomb and they have heavy hearts. And they are sad and they are heartbroken. They had lost the master of miracles. 
for 400 years prior to Jesus' coming, over 400 years, there, between Malachi and Matthew, there had been no sign of God anywhere. There wasn't anyone prophesying, no one uh, declaring the word of the Lord, no prophets anywhere, no, nobody uh, doing miracles, no one doing any signs and wonders. There hadn't been any sign of spiritual life for over four centuries. Can you imagine? It was just lifeless, dead religion. It's all that existed. But then Jesus arrived, and at the age of 30, he came out of the water, out of that watery grave, that, 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 that Jordan River. He got baptized. He heard the voice of God, went into the wilderness, 40 days, comes out, uh, and suddenly all of heaven begins to break out into the earth. Uh, and Jesus begins to do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And it was like a breath of fresh air sweeping across the nation. For, for 400 years, they'd never seen any signs of God, but now God had come to life uh, amongst them. And these two women, one of them, Mary Magdalene, we believe, had been totally transformed, filled with demons. Uh, but Jesus came and cast them all out, uh, set her free. And it was this woman, the love that she had for the master of miracles uh, that drove her to the tomb, even though there was a stone. She had to get close. I got to get close to him. I, uh, I'll just stand outside this stone and, and I'll just feel, feel, feel the stone. And I know right inside was the man that set me free. I, I don't believe he'll ever be resurrected, but it was a wonderful moment. I just loved him so much. They had to go to the tomb. And then when they get to the tomb, it's a disaster. I mean, the stones rolled away. The soldiers laying on the ground. The tomb's empty. They can't, they can't even grieve without things being messed up. Have you ever been there? I mean, you're sad and you just want a moment just to, just to grieve. You just need a space of time just, to, to, just to, to think and ponder about the heartache and the loss that you've just experienced. And, and you can't even do that because everyone's just busting in on your grieving party. And you can't even get a moment just to, to get by yourself and, and without everything else is still falling apart. And they get there and everything's falling apart. The tombs are empty and they're upset because someone has stolen Jesus. Someone had taken from them someone they loved very much. Someone had messed with them. Some, someone's, someone somehow had gotten into that tomb and had taken the very thing that they loved and they were heartbroken. And so what do they do? They run back to Peter and the disciples who were hiding because they didn't believe there was a resurrection coming. They were hiding, trying to save their lives, thinking that at any moment the Sanhedrin and the Roman soldiers are going to probably try to find them and seek them out and put them to a cross, perhaps. And she runs back to Peter and tells them the body's stolen because life will always have disruptions to your expectations. You have to get used to being disappointed from time to time, because it's going to happen. God didn't promise that your house would be what you expected it to be. He didn't promise that you would, the jobs you have is what you were going to have. And he didn't promise that the spouse, you know, is everything that you'd hoped for. He never promised all that. 
Some things are disappointments to us to some degree, but we have to walk it out and trust in the Lord because our God is the God of the unexpected and nothing ever catches God by surprise. Nothing ever catches God and shocks him and causes him to be amazed and filled with unbelief that it happened because God knows it's all going to work out because God's got the plan. Someone has stolen Jesus, but God knows that's not the story. Something else is happening, but all I know is she ran. The, the women ran. They ran. Which brings me to point number two. Go ahead and have the worship team come. When something major happens in your life, you have to pick up the pace. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, pick up the pace. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us what? Let us run with perseverance the mark, the race that's marked out for us. Paul will later tell Timothy, I have finished the race. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. There are times in your life when major things are going on and, and God's purpose begins to unfold in your life where you have to pick up the pace. And I feel like in 2022, the Lord is saying to us, it is the year to pick up the pace. It's, it's not the pace that you have been keeping isn't going to sustain you to win the race. If you're going to win the race, you're going to have to pick up the pace. I found this out the hard way. I don't know, it was about 10 years ago or so. My, my wife had been doing a lot of running, and she had just, I think, ran a half marathon a couple weeks before this, and, and I kind of did a little training with her and everything. And, and she, there was a, a race in Orange Beach called the, I think it was called the Boston Butt Run. She goes, would you like to go and enter the, the butt run with me? I'm like, What? I don't even sound right. I asked the Boston Butt Run. I'm like, what? Who, who would name a, a race like that? But it was down at the wharf. And I'm like, you know, being a good husband, I, I want to do stuff with my wife. I want to get involved. I want to I support her. And I want to be there. Said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll run. I'll run the race. It'll be a lot of fun. We'll just have a lot of fun, she goes. <laughs> just a lot of fun. You just ran a half marathon. And yeah, it's okay. All right. So, but, but I did remember... Um, training with her prior to that. And I, I rem we would go and sh while she was training for her half marathon, eventually she would do a marathon. And she's training for that. She would make these long runs. And and she, well, you want to go running with her? I, I'd go a couple of times and, and i just get so bored. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's just like so boring. And, and even though I was with her, it was still, you know, she's wonderful, but it was boring. And uh, just, just running, you know, just, and it wasn't fast. We were just, just jogging, you know, it was just, oh, and I remember getting cl back close to the house and I was like, I got to, I'm going and I, and I just take off, you know, and I, I beat her by three blocks, not just because I wanted to get my heart rate up and everything. And so anyway, we get into this run and, and so I'm assuming that we're just going to have fun because she said we're going to have fun. And so it's about time gathering. There's a starting line. There's hundreds of people there. 
And I'm not even noticing. There was about uh, three other couples with us. And uh, somehow she had negotiated where we're up right there by the, the starting line. We're, you know, we're going to run this way. And the starting line is right here. And we're like right up against it. And I'm not even paying attention how, what she has done. But she's got us in the very front. And I'm making jokes, and I'm laughing, and I'm, I'm not even facing where we're about to run. I'm just talking. I'm looking around, and I don't know. I'm just, I'm just having a good time because, right, this is, we're having fun. We're just going to have a little jog. And then all of a sudden, the gun went off. And all these people I'm looking at, you know, talk, start running like a banshee right at me. And so I turn around, and, and I... And I look, and by the time I looked, she was already five, six steps ahead of me. So, and she was sprinting. It wasn't like this jog that we were doing a few weeks ago. She's sprinting, and so I'm like, you know, <laughs> running as fast as I could. And it started at the entrance, like at the entrance of the wharf, if you're familiar with that area. And and, and there's, the, you know, you go down the wharf and there's a Ferris wheel and, and all these shops. And then there's this like fish down at the very statue, you know what I'm talking about? And so by the time I finally catch her, we're, she, we're, at, we're at the Ferris wheel. And I'm talking about, I feel like I'm, do, I'm back in grade school doing the 100-yard dash. And I'm running as fast as I can. And I catch her and I said, hey, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> Staying ahead of everybody, got to get in the front, she says. Well, who cares about being in the front? You got to be in the front. And I'm running, and my heart is starting to come out of my chest. I mean, you know, you've ever been that way where your heart is pounding so fast that you feel every little. And, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I'm like, how long are you going to do this? And she didn't say nothing. And I'm running as fast as I can. I'm running. And we get to the fish, and we got to take a left. And there's this old man passing me. <laughs> An old man passing me, you know, gray hair, not to say anything about it. You might be here. I praise God that you. And I'm like, and so my, my wife got a little aggravated. She's like speeding up, catching with the old man. And I'm like, hey, hey. And so finally we get to the mile marker. Mile marker one. It was a three-mile race, 3.1-mile race. We get to mile marker one, and there's a guy standing there, and he's reading out the times. And I'm passing. She's passing. We're same time. He goes, six minutes. I'm thinking, what? I just ran a six-minute mile? I've never done that in my life. I said, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And, and I'm looking, she is strong. She's like going for it. And I'm like, the, the, the worst feeling in my life where I had to admit to my wife, I couldn't keep the pace. She's running. I said, hey, you go on ahead. I want to be back there. And so I started slowing down. And she kept it up. And I'm like doing the best I could. I really was doing the best. They, they give you these like little cups of water. You know, like you're standing, they're standing there, you hold your water. You're running. Who's gonna, so I'm like, it's half gone. And then I get, it's half all of my, it's, I never got, I think one drop get in my mouth. I'm running. I'm like, my heart's 
feet. And then this guy, he's, he's pushing a baby in a stroller. <laughs> Runs by me, passes me. My wife's out of sight. A guy with a stroller and a baby passes me. I, I just took my man card and just put I just handed it in. I'm, I'm not a man. I'm, I'm a nothing. I'm a nothing. I realize that you have to pick up your pace. I think I, after it was over and they resuscitated me <laughs> and I was, I was coming back to life, I was asking, what was that all about? I thought we were just going to have fun, you know? You told me we were going to have fun. She said, that we didn't have fun. I said, I didn't have fun at all. I went to hell and back. <laughs> I don't know what you did. I said, what was, that? what was the goal of all that, you know? She said, if you're going to win, you got to get in the front. You don't stay in the back. The goal, honey, is to be the first one across the tape. I'm like, huh, I didn't know that's how it worked. Thanks for the info. And so I realized that in life it's the same way. That if we're going to accomplish what God has to, for us to accomplish, we've got to get in the game. We've got to race. And we've got to do this. We've got to put our shoes on. And we've got to pick up the pace. Because here's the reality. I can't do much about the past. But I certainly can run to the future. I certainly can run to the future. You know, I, I may have been like Paul, excuse me, like Peter and John. You might have been late to the party. You might have been late to the party. There, there may have been already people ahead of you. There may be some Christians, some, some, your, your grandma, your, your father, your mother, someone that followed hard after God, and you went your own way. You may be late to the party. Maybe Mary, you've, you've had the Marys come to you and say, listen, look, I've seen something amazing. It's amazing what I just saw. Jesus' body is gone. And either they've stolen him or he's been resurrected. I don't know what, something's going on. And you may be late to the party, but at least you got to the party. You put, you put your shoes on and say, I may be late, but I'm at least going to get to the party. I, I can't do everything about the past, but I can do something about the future. And here's the good news. The good news is this. Uh, if you run after your purpose, you'll begin to distance yourself from your past. Don't go, come on, come on. Do you hear what I'm saying? The faster you run into your future is the more space you put behind your history. The faster you run into your destiny is the more space you put into your mistakes. And the Lord has sent me here today to remind you that this is the year to run, but not run like usual. It's the hour to pick up the pace. There is something we gotta do. There's a place we gotta go. There's souls we gotta save. There's a community that needs to be redeemed. This is the year to pick up the pace. Put up your shoes. Come on and get back in the game. You may be late, but at least you're in the race. Come on, church, stand with me this morning. It's time to pick up the pace. It's time to pick up the pace. 
No more dilly-dallying around. That race to me was such a powerful example. I just just thought it was a game. I, I just thought we were going to have a good time. I thought we were going to eat a Boston butt when it was done. I was so sick in my stomach. I, I didn't want no butt. But my wife knew what a race was. And I held on as long as I could. Some of you, maybe the best you can do is hang on to somebody else that's running. Maybe you need to find somebody that runs fast. And you need to say, hey, listen, I want to be your friend. I want, to, I want to get together with you. I want you to begin to disciple me. I want you to pour into me. I want you to pray with me. I want you to show me how to pray. I want you to show me how to read the Bible. I want you to teach me how to walk with God. I want you to show me what it means to be a person of integrity and character. I want to be a person that runs, runs the race. I want to be like Paul that said, I ran the race. I'm about to finish now, but I've run and I've accomplished and I've done everything that he's asked. I was late to the party, but I made up some time. I made up some time. I have run the race that was set out before me. And I believe this morning, prayer teams come, please come to the front. I believe this morning, God told me that there are some people here today that he, you realize in your life, uh, it's time to pick up the pace. It's time to run and get back into the race. Uh, we have prayer teams here this morning, and I'm inviting you to come. And I'm, some of you need to make a decision today. You, you've been messing around uh, way too long, and you realize today it's the day to put on your shoes uh, and to get back into the race. Uh, and I'm going to invite you even now as the worship team sings uh, to come down here to find a prayer partner and tell them, would you pray for me? Would you just agree with me today, I want to run, and I want to run with the violence. I want to run with the eagerness. I want to run the race that God has set before me. Let us run the race. Come on. Come on. Come. Come. And let us pray. Come on. Thank you, Father. Waiting to hear for you. Thank you, Lord God. You're going to help us run. You're going to help us run, Lord. Worship you, Lord. Worship you, God. It's you. We adore. invited Jesus into your heart. The Lord is waiting with extended hands. He's saying, come and run unto me. As the prodigal son's story, the father was waiting, was looking for 
the wayward child to come back. The Bible says the father ran to the son. As you run to the father, the father will run to you. We're here this morning to pray with you. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to get back in the race, we want to start this thing over. We want to help you. We want to run with you. I want to pray for all of us here this morning as we get ready to dismiss. If you wouldn't mind, just lift your hands before the Lord. Father God, we're here today. And we thank you for the race that you put in front of us. Each of our races look different. So many races to be run in this room. And for Father, we ask you to forgive us for dilly-dallying around, playing around, and not taking serious the talents and the gifts and the skills and the time. And so today, Lord God, we, we commit ourselves to the race afresh. We make a decision today that we're going to run. We're going to run hard after you. That we will be the people that run and watch you do something so marvelous in our life. We're going to pick up, Lord, where we left off, the purpose, the dream, the talent, the gift. We're running after you, Lord. In Jesus' name. We thank you, Father, for that. Amen and amen. Turn to your neighbor. Can you do that? Turn to your neighbor and tell him, come on, get your shoes on. It's time to run. Will you do that?